Hello, and welcome back to Chirps, the St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. One of several, I should say, St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. But this is the one with Alex and myself. And we are back to talk about a team that really just keeps hitting the repeat button on all the bad things they're doing. So I don't know that we have a whole lot of new information to share or shocking opinions to bring to you today. Alex, the Cardinals continue to look very much like they have pretty much the entirety of the season. Is there anything in the last week where they've played pretty bad teams, the Braves and the Royals, that you feel good about at this point? We'll start there. We'll try to start things on a good note because I'm not sure it's going to end there. (laughs) Hmm. I know there is something. Uh, I, I, off the top of my head, I don't know what that something is. Uh, gosh, that Brave series was was rather deflating. Although, not as deflating as it would as it would have been three weeks ago. I think I, I, it arrived at a time where I was just like, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah, they they blew this game, and I don't really care. Unlike that game they blew against the Cubs where I was saying ridiculous things like, oh my gosh, I was lying in bed and, you know, wondering if things would ever be good again. Uh, I didn't feel that way at all about the Brave series, which I think means we've realized who this team is and that they're not very good, as Mike Shannon put it so eloquently in his broadcast of Sunday's game. Yeah, leave it to Mike Shannon to really just set it all straight. Not that we didn't already know it, but to kind of put it out there as publicly and as officially as he did to say, you guys, they're just not good. Well, I I don't think Mike Shannon's going to get fired at this point. So he could probably (laughs) say a lot, and he does say a lot. He said uh, a... I'm not even. Gonna, I don't know if I was listening to the radio. I think it was Friday night, and he started talking about Christopher Columbus and said one thing that I was like, "Yeah, I would not have said that." Um, but uh, anyway, Mike Shannon's not getting fired. So when it comes to his baseball commentary, I kind of hope he just lets loose as, as as the year goes on and as he sees fit, because that's a good way for him to go out. Even if it can't be with a winning team, might as well be with him being as entertaining as is humanly possible. I remember listening to a lot of games, both in the season where Mike Matheny was fired, and I want to say in 2018, specifically, Mike Shannon was so annoyed by this team. Like, listening to him call games was just textbook. Somebody watching a thing and being like, why am I even here? This is... This, it's all pointless because they're so bad at everything right now. And it was, you know, particularly the defensive issues coming from, you know, generationally Mike Shannon's era of baseball on the field. That was just such an unacceptable lack of discipline and skill on the defensive side of things. Listening to him call games, it was like, I mean, if it was anybody but Mike Shannon, they'd probably make him stop. But since it's Mike Shannon, what are you going to do? And he's kind of back to that point. His, his actual game calling this year hasn't been spectacular, but the commentary uh, really is probably the most genuine and um, honest commentary that you're going to get in any platform as far as covering the Cardinals. Agree. And I, 
I remember exactly what you're talking about. I, I was going to say it was the 2017 season, but you might have been right. It might have been early in that 2018 season. And what Mike Shannon does not like is a baseball team that is not fundamentally sound. And that's what was happening in 2017 and 2018. And he just, and it's hard to break him. Like he understands a baseball season that, you know, you're going to have dramatic wins and you're going to have crushing losses. And that's just the way it goes. So when he reaches that point where he loses patience with the team, it's, it's never out of whack. It's always for a good reason. And it's always, uh, in line with what the fans have been thinking and saying for a while. So when when Mike Shannon uh, tips over that scale, then you know uh, things are not going well. Yeah, it's not only not going well, but he's also not amused anymore <laughs> by either the game itself, which he obviously loves having been around it for so long, or by the entire organization that's just letting this happen. You get the idea from him that he's not – He may not directly call out any names in the front office, but he's also not going to, you know, sugarcoat anything and pretend like, well, they're doing the best they can. They're really grinding it up. No, no, no. When Mike Shannon reaches that point, it's like, what are you all doing? Why are you all here? Why are you not making it better? (laughs) And uh, we've reached that point. I think a lot of us share that sentiment as well. And we've talked about that really endlessly in the last month or so. I know I, we were joking before we started recording. I even said it on the podcast with uh, Daniel Shoptop earlier in the week. Just hit replay on any of the last three or four episodes, and you're probably going to think that it was about the last week of Cardinals baseball. Well, and that's why I started with, is there anything good about the last week? Because uh, we kind of dive down the same rabbit hole every time, it seems. Well, obviously, I had nothing. Do you have anything good you can share that I can maybe feel, feel better about? I mean, uh, they 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 won the series with the Royals. Yeah, at yeah, least they did. I guess and there is that. He, he, I don't okay, know it, how good you feel about winning it, a series against the Royals, but they did. If so. I can butt in real quick, yeah, I remember like in 2015 when when we the last time we had a really 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 good team, and I'm curious if you remember this as well. One of like our biggest gripes, and this is a sign that you're spoiled is the team would win like the first two games of a series and then like lose the third game. So they'd only win two of three. And then like people, people would be on Twitter be like, can we just for once sweep a team? Is it that hard? (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, we're rattling off like all these series wins and we're annoyed that we can't sweep a team. So you are right. They won the series and that is the goal. Um, A sweep. Nice. Absolutely. But the main point is they won the series. Right. Right. They did win the series. I think what eliminates sort of the more pleasant aftertaste (laughs) of winning a series is that at this point, it kind of feels like, but does it matter though? Cool. Cool. They won a series um, after getting swept in the one previous. So it feels like it doesn't have the same impact as if you were regularly winning those three game sets. And that maybe is where the, the conversation turns to, okay, now they're still in what is a a relatively easier part of their schedule, right? Heading into a series with the Pirates and then the Royals, again, should be able to win both of those series if they're not the average or just below average team that they have been for most of the season. I think we've all come to terms with the fact that they probably are that team, (laughs) that average or slightly below average team. So what do you look for in a week like this with the Pirates, the Royals, 
I'll be honest, Pirates Cardinals, Royals Cardinals, not compelling to watch if you just think about those series on paper and kind of think, is there something else I can be doing with this three-hour block of my time? But is there anything coming up or any reason in your mind that we can watch this week with some level of interest or hope or anything beyond, hey, maybe Jack Flaherty comes back this week? Sure. And I I think what's funny is those other teams, uh, their fans are probably seeing like, oh, good, the Cardinals, like finally an easy, you know, like like we, we are now a part of that group. Uh-huh. If we want to be honest with ourselves, yeah. I think, um, I mean, we're not in Pirates territory, but we're, we're the Braves. I mean, we're not any better than the Braves. Um, you know, you also said something that made me think that, remind me of this, that I, I used to think it was like my duty to try and watch every game, um, especially when I was able to do that, which I, I'm not quite able to do that anymore. But I used to be able to do that. And I thought like it, like it was my job to watch every game. And I think I'm trying to remember who it was I was talking with. And they made a good, it may have been Matt Trueblood. And he made a good point. He's like, no, the baseball season is 162 games for that purpose in that you don't have to watch every game. Like you should take a night off every once in a while, um, whether you're enjoying yourself or not. And now, now this is something I felt like for me personally was a good idea. I mean, everyone, if you're still getting enjoyment out of watching a, these guys play on television every night, then you should abs- absolutely keep doing that. Um, but I remember thinking that was a very good point that look, there are 162 games you don't have to watch every night, whether or not your team's in first place or, or last place. Um, it, this is a very hard season to, to consume that way. Um, so there's certainly no shame in not watching them every night. In fact, I have, as I alluded to earlier, I have turned to the radio more often than not recently, um, partly because it's Mike Shannon's last year. And so when they're at home, I, I kind of want to hear him because we're not going to be able to hear him much longer. And also because when you have them on the radio, you're kind of more taking in the game and it's more conducive to doing other things. It's more like background noise. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You can get some chores done and things like that that might seem more important at the time than the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, That said, I believe it was after their series loss against the Braves, that third game where when they were swept, um, coughed up a, a lead and just kind of imploded. And I tweeted something along the lines of like, okay, this team is not making the playoffs. This is all I ask for them from here on out. And one was finish above 500, um, finish ahead of the Cubs, um, finish closer to the Brewers than they do the Pirates. And this one was kind of tongue in cheek, but I also kind of meant it too, which is uh, just completely smash that uh, walks with the bases loaded record because if you're this, <laughs> Might as well, yeah, right? yeah, well, <laughs> it'd be nice to be able to remember this team for something, and then we can always look back and laugh, I guess. Um, and I, I got a lot of responses who took issue with the finish above 500 thing, and, and it seemed to be for two reasons. Um, one, because people who just want like, no, if they're not making the playoffs, lose as many games as possible because then we get a better draft pick. Um, the second seemed to be, no, I don't want this ownership thinking 83 wins is okay or 84 wins is okay or, or whatever it would be, 82 wins. Um, and 
I understand both of those sediments, but I still can't get on board with that thinking um, for a couple reasons. Uh, the first and the most basic reason is that when I'm watching a game, when just like in a vacuum, I'm not cheering for them to lose when I'm, wa- when I'm actually sitting down watching a game. I-, I want them to win. So if I want them to win an individual game I'm watching, then obviously I want them to win like – like in the in the macro sense, I want them to win as many games as possible, right? Um, but the second and I think more important reason, and I, I think some people don't care about this, and, and I totally get that, but it comes down to like a fundamental question of what do I want this franchise to be, uh, to represent? And for me, it's important that this team, I don't know if mystique is too strong of a word, Uh, It probably is, especially given the current state of the club. But to me, it is important that this franchise has this thing around it that, like, look, it doesn't mean they're going to make the playoffs every year, but they're going to win more games than they lose. That that is what they do. They don't don't tear down the team. They don't trade a player like Mookie Betts. They aren't perfect. They've been rather imperfect lately, but they're still going to win more games than they lose because they are a solid club. And they have done that every year going back to 2007, the second longest streak in baseball to the Yankees going back to, and the Yankees haven't finished below 500, I think, according to Shoptaw, and and I believe he's right, I read his post this morning, I think 1993 or something to that effect. It's important to me that the Cardinals are in that same sort of conversation, that sphere with the Yankees. Um, one, just because I'm a fan and it's just like, feels good to have, be a fan of a team who can say that because God knows I'm a fan of plenty of other teams who stink and who stink more often than they are good. So it's nice having a team that is good more often than they stink. Um, but second, I do believe having a Cardinals team that can consistently look in the mirror and be like, this is who we are. We win more games than we lose is good moving forward for being a free agent destination for being still somewhat of an appealing place. Uh, I think that's why we have Nolan Arenado on the team right now, because he looked at this franchise and said like, that's the type of place where I would like to play. I would hope to think there are still other players in baseball who feel that way about the St. Louis Cardinals. And I don't know if they would feel that way about St. Louis Cardinals. If we strung together a couple of sub 500 seasons Um, and yeah, we're going to get a better draft pick. That's absolutely true. Um, but the reason why I'm watching and consuming this sport, this team in the first place is because I want them to win both in the micro sense and in the macro sense. And I, it's important to both my fandom and it's important to how I think the future of this franchise will be moving forward. And this is too good of a franchise should be too good of a franchise to to ever accept that to ever accept like no i want them to lose or they should be losing so we can get a good draft pick um it doesn't mean letting the front office off or i guess ownership off the hook um it it doesn't mean we can't complain about trades or misevaluating talent because we absolutely can and we absolutely should but that doesn't mean in my opinion for me at least that I want them to lose. I still want them to have that sort of mystique. I still want to be able to say like, yes, 
even though they didn't make the playoffs, they were still at least relevant in, in some sense. You know, I, I, I live 40 miles from Baltimore and I've seen that rebuild or whatever, you want, if you even want to call it that, um, going on. I can tell you, I get the Washington Post every day. They don't even talk about the Orioles anymore. Uh, and now, now, that has to do with the fact that there's another baseball team that is right in town. But the Orioles still get coverage when they're good. And you, it would be like, it's almost like they don't even exist right now. And I don't want that ever to be the Cardinals. And there's no reason why that couldn't be the Cardinals if we, it, not we, uh, but, it, but if they adopt this idea that, okay, you know, we, we are going to like strip this down to the studs and, and work on like building up our farm system. Because what, what is it about the current state of the club that tells you like, oh yeah, they're going to draft really well. They're going to develop all these great players, and then we're going to be right back in the thick of things on the strength of uh, homegrown talent. Um, yeah. And that's not to dismiss the idea of homegrown talent, especially from from this for this franchise's sake, as we as we've seen it be very important. But but there's nothing about there's nothing special about the current people running the team, and that's not to say that they're bad. But I don't think they're miracle workers, and that they can just automatically build this thing back up again. I don't think it's that easy. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think just as a, a fan and watching a team, you want to see them win more than they lose. I think that's a very natural reaction. I struggle with the, but they'll get a better draft pick thing, not necessarily because of that idea, but because that's how the system works. That bugs me <laughs> that the system is such that it creates this, um, willingness to be uncompetitive so that you get a better draft pick. I just, I don't like that the two are connected. I, so Gosh, I 100% agree with that. I'm it, so glad to hear you say that. It just, like, conceptually, I understand why people say that because, yes, that's how the system works as it is. I have an issue with the system <laughs> that makes that, um, you know, a, a possibility at this point, right? You get to August and you're like, well, let's just stop trying so we get a better draft pick. I hate that. I hate that that's part of the way that the structure of baseball works. So I I can't envision myself saying that um, because it just is such a, it, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me because of kind of, like I said, the structure of that in place. Um, and otherwise, I think it's interesting, this idea of, maybe they need to crash and burn so that the front office can't, you know, spin it in their favor and talk about all the injuries or talk about, you know, whatever it might be. Um, because I've said that I have said that. And I do think that there's some merit to the idea of this front office. We've seen them do it that as long as they can get by with doing what they've always done, they're going to find a way to spin that in their favor so that they don't have to do something different. And I've also gone back and forth. You know, there's been some conversation in the the Cardinals world on the internet this week um, about whether or not the Nolan Arenado trade is enough to kind of lift the Cardinals out of this. Well, they never do anything big sort of narrative. I think you can insert Paul Goldschmidt into that as well, although maybe on a slightly different level. So I think that I struggle with trying to find the balance of, okay, this, this team, this organization has made moves in the last couple of years that should have made the Cardinals better, but it didn't. So not, not better enough, right? Or there were other problems that went unaddressed because they were like, Hey, we made our one big move. That's all we need to do, whatever it is. So 
I do think there's something to the the status quo has to change before this front office is going to consider something different, I think. Um, otherwise, they're going to be able to say, well, this is how we've always done things and we finish above 500 and we're competitive in terms of uh, a postseason contender, at least for most of, of the year and, you know, all these things. Um, and that's great. That's fine. I think the fan base and and the players on the field want a little more than that. <laughs> and that's where you have to figure out what that next step is. So do they need to finish below 500 to say, okay, the status quo in terms of pitching and development and stacking outfielders that then you don't really ever utilize and, you know, not making a move until the trade deadline because you don't want to make a move too early and then end up having to pay for it next year, whatever it is, you know, all these things that we've talked about over and over ad nauseum in the last two and a half months, does it need to go so badly that they can't cover it up for them to say, okay, maybe we could try something a little bit different. But my follow-up to that is, I don't know what that different looks like in terms of we don't want them to do what the Cubs just did or how we saw the Astros build up a championship team. They can't do what the Dodgers have done in just paying everyone that happens to become available. So they do, those, are, those two options are off the table. There has to be a different middle ground for them to make up the difference in those areas of weakness while still being able to realistically say, hey, look, we pulled off a Nolan Arenado trade that no one thought we were going to make happen. We should be able to celebrate that while also recognizing, <laughs> but even that season where we pulled off a Nolan Arenado trade, we're a sub 500 team. So we have to be able to fill in those gaps somewhere else. I think that's a, I, I do want to say not to give the front office undue credit, but I do think it's a really complicated formula to try to figure out when you're not going to go pay all the the highest dollar free agent contracts. And you don't want to be the team that strips everything down to the very baseline and then tries to rebuild from there. That middle ground is a lot harder to do. And I don't think they've figured out that formula yet, which is why you're looking at a team that has Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado and a bunch of 37-year-old starting pitchers. <laughs> no, and that's a really good point. And, and I think, it, in my opinion, it harkens back to what I said, like that middle ground. And that that's why it's very important that this team is viewed, in my opinion, as a model organization still, a, a, an organization that knows how to win. Because when they're in that middle ground, as you say, one thing that's very important for the, uh, for the survival, not survival, but for this franchise to stay good is this idea that good players are going to want to come play here. Um, and I don't think it's as true as it used to be, but I still think it's true. Um, if you believe the rumors, um, Bryce Harper would have been open to playing here. Um, I mean, it was never really entertained on the Cardinals end, but I mean, you can't get a bigger star in baseball than Bryce Harper. Um, so I, look, I, I totally get that they're not going to be able to spend the money like the Dodgers. And, and 
the Dodgers are obviously very good at other things besides just spending money. Um, they don't just do that. Um, and it's, it's kind of remarkable when you think about it, because 10 years ago at this time, the Dodgers were a flat out mess. They were going through all that. Maybe one of the biggest, like, just messes from an ownership standpoint, you can imagine when McCourt and his wife were getting divorced and it was like the franchise was like a kid, almost like who's going to, you know, and it was just like, okay, I guess we'll just have to like sell it. Um, and then uh, 10 years later, it seems like that seems so long ago because, you know, they basically had it fixed two years later and they've been in the playoffs every year since. Um, where I was quite going with that, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's, it, it's very important, I think, for the health of this franchise, for them to be good, for the perception of this franchise to be high. Because, and believe me, I, I absolutely love St. Louis and I always have a good time when I'm there. Uh, I think it's a wonderful city. I think it's a very underrated city. Uh, but it's not a, I'm guessing it's not a free agent destination like a lot of other uh, cities, uh, marquee franchises, whether it's the Cubs, the Red Sox, Yankees, Dodgers, Mets, obviously. Like, like I, I don't think that's offensive to say. Um, and again, I, I would probably rather live in St. Louis than some of those cities I just mentioned. But I'm not a professional a baseball player in his mid twenties, you know? So you have to have something to be able to sell. And one of the things it's important, I think for this club to be able to sell is that we know what we're doing. We are good. We're not going to, we're not guaranteeing the playoffs every year, but we are going to be better than most teams. Uh, and we have been better than most teams going back almost 15 years. And, and that's a pretty good run to be able to hang your hat on. And I think that's important. I, I also want to say, uh, I totally agree with what you said about the draft. In my opinion, or if I had my way, the draft would be abolished in all like professional sports. Just like get rid of it. And um, I don't think people people are like, oh, then the Yankees will have all like they still only have twenty six roster spots, and they're not paying the twenty six best players in baseball. Even the Yankees aren't paying those twenty six like high end salaries. So, and you know what? That is kind of how life works. Sometimes, sometimes you're just at a disadvantage. Um, if you're a small market club like Kansas City or Milwaukee, and you just have to learn to deal with it. Um, second thing, and the reason why I don't care about the draft pick is because I got to be honest, I don't know much about the draft picks. I don't know who like, ooh, if the Cardinals pick 18th, I hope they go with this guy. But man, if they could slide up to 14th, then they would have an inroad on. You know, I'm not Kyle, so I don't know. <laughs> so, so it's so far detached from even my view that I just so don't care about the draft picks. That's not to say other people shouldn't, because um, I totally understand why that's important to a lot of people. Uh, but for me personally, it's just not really on my radar. Yeah. And I think there's a, not often a clear discrepancy between, you know, some of those mid first round draft picks and, you know, whoever else you might. The Cardinals aren't going to crash and burn and have the worst record in baseball, most likely. So it's not like they're going to have the first pick of the draft. <laughs> So I'm not sure how much of a difference those couple of spots would make at this point in terms of, of the draft pick either. So yeah, that not really on my radar, though I totally understand because of the structure of the system that that is on people's minds when they think, well, the silver lining to a bad team is a, a better draft pick. Um, I would also say just to, to go back one more time to what you're saying about why it's important for this organization, perhaps more than the Yankees or the Dodgers or, you know, some of these teams that at any point, at least now, um, can, can say, hey, you want to come play for us? <laughs> and somebody's going to be like, yes, I do want to live in LA. And yes, I want to play 
for the Dodgers because you're going to pay me a lot of money. It is important for the Cardinals to maintain that idea, at least, at, at the very least, the perception of this is a team that's good at baseball year in and year out because they don't have those other advantages. They're not going to be a team that has the worst record in baseball and is going to get the first pick of the draft. And they're going to do that three years in a row on purpose so that they can rebuild from there. That's not what they're going to do. They're not going to be the highest paying offer in the free agent market because they don't have that much flexibility. We would probably argue they have more flexibility than they want us to believe they do, but they don't have that much flexibility to go and be those big market teams. Um, uh, most likely. I mean, I, I'm not looking at their financials, so I, I don't know that tip. <laughs> I don't know how much room they actually have to move, maneuver, but you get the point. So they don't have those other advantages. The thing that they have is we're going to be a competitive team. We're going to play the game in a way that it is compelling and exciting and brings 40,000 fans to the, to the stadium every night. And those are two things they do not have this season. They're not playing good baseball. They're not bringing fans into the stadium. And if I was part of the front office, I would be wildly concerned about those two things. And that's why it's so bizarre to me to see this sort of like wandering through baseball without a plan to attack those two issues, at least from the outside looking in, because those are the only two things you have is being a competitive with a chance to make the playoffs every year and a fan base that's going to be there no matter what. Neither of those things exist for this team right now, regardless of Nolan Arenado. And that is why I think they should be concerned. Agree. And it made me think back to 2019 when the playoffs were starting and we had a conversation about attendance at Bush Stadium, which there were a few open seats, like kind of in the nosebleeds above Big Mac land. And Looking back, I think I was wrong because I, I kind of came from the perspective that this is not a big deal. People are freaking out about something that's not a big deal. It's a day game, blah, blah, blah. But if if what we've seen since then is any guide, um, you know, it's hard to say because last year there were no fans. And this year, you know, there's still obviously a pandemic hanging over the head of, of the season. Um, hanging over the head is a, I don't know, whatever. Um <laughs> It's been a long day. Uh, um, what was I saying? Yeah, yeah. I, it, the, the attendance is not good. And I, I do think it's something to be worried about. And I bet they are worried about that. Uh, and I think the tendency and the reason maybe we were a little defensive when it happened then is that the tendency is for fans or or reporters of other teams to go, oh, I thought yeah, you were the best yeah. fans in baseball. When the reality is... Um, sure. I mean, if fans stop coming, I mean, maybe you can question their fandom, but at the same time, um, you know, you look at other average or below average teams, they're not filling out their stadiums, most likely either. And that I think is the problem. It's, it, it comes off as a reflection of the fan base, but realistically, it's a, a reflection of the organization that's not giving the fans anything compelling to be there for. Um, when we're talking about wow, how would I rather spend three hours of my night watching the Cardinals play bad baseball or watching a different sport or watching a movie that just came out or going for a bike ride? Like when yeah. we're just watching on television and still making another choice, then that's because of the product, not because we're, we're bad fans. And when to see a game in person still costs an outrageous amount of money to spend that kind of money to be bored 
because the game isn't good. <laughs> and that's, that's less a reflection on the fan base in my mind and more of a reflection on the fact that that's, it's just not a good team. Like yeah. to circle, to come full circle, to quote Mike Shannon, they're just not very good. <laughs> I, I think there's also something to the idea that, so beginning in 1982, the Cardinals had Ozzie Smith. And from 82 to 96, they not only had Ozzie Smith, but uh, mixed in with that, they had some good to great teams, including a team that won a World Series and three teams that won a pennant. And even after they started being kind of mediocre in the late 80s and early 90s, they still had Ozzie Smith. And he was a big draw because he was the type of player we just never knew when he was going to just make a great play. So attendance was very good. And then he retired at the end of 96 season. So 97 begins. And at the trade deadline, they acquired Mark McGuire. And there was no bigger draw probably in baseball at that time than Mark McGuire. Um, He lasts until what? 2000. It's amazing how short his career with the Cardinals actually was given if, if he had gone into the hall of fame, like we all thought he was going to before all the, you know, uh, PD stuff, he probably would have had a Cardinal on his hat, um, would be my guess. Um, but anyway, his career overlaps his last season with Albert Pujols. So we go from McGuire to Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols leaves at the end of the 2011 season, but from 2012 to 2015, they average what? Probably over 90 wins a season, including a, a 97 win season and a 100 win season, and they go to the World Series in 2013. Um, and then 2015, they start to drop off a little bit. And as, as a fan base that has been sort of spoiled by all those things, I think it's really hard to kind of keep that momentum going to where maybe other cities you could sell what they have right now. But some people are probably thinking like, man, it was so much more fun to go back when they had this. Man, it was so much more fun to go back when they had that. And yeah, we have Wainwright and we have Yadier Molina. They're as great as they are and how greater Cardinals they are, they're not quite the same draws as Ozzie Smith, Mark McGuire, and Albert Pujols, or a team that's winning 100 games. Uh, when, it, when it's a team that's just winning 84 games, I just don't know if even guys as beloved as, as them are big enough draws with how spoiled this fan base has been with star power and great teams to draw the masses to the stadium. Um, well, and you can also say, well, what about Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt? That's a very good question. Like, what is it about those two acquisitions that haven't quite maybe moved the needle attendance-wise? I don't know. My guess is with Arenado, it just happened to coincide with the team not being very good. Um, and so at first they were very excited. And now that they're not only not very good, but they play a frustrating brand of baseball, a slow, lots of balls being thrown, lots of walks, um, not – a lot of standing around while guys are trotting home after a bases loaded walk. That is not fun to watch. And so I think that's kind of what's going on here. Um, Yeah. And I think in terms of those other guys that you mentioned, I mean, you're talking about Cardinals hall of famers for a reason based on their Cardinals career, right? Right now, both Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado are baseball stars because of their career before St. Louis. Nothing that they've done in their limited time in St. Louis has really been earth shattering in terms of cementing them in Cardinals lore, um, like Mark McGuire and the the home run 
Chase and, you know, obviously Albert Pujols and everything that he meant. So some of those are also, we, we kind of talked about homegrown players. Some of their, their most beloved stars who are also baseball hall of fame type players are just cardinal lifers. And that's why they have that draw. So as good and exciting and uh, valuable as the additions of Goldschmidt and Arenado are without the winning, there's not the same connection to those guys and to their impact on the city or the game or the championships or whatever. We don't have a a postseason Paul Goldschmidt moment where it just changed everything and rewrote his, we don't have that with Nolan Arenado. And those are the things that you won't get if it's not a, if it's not a good team, they're going to be good players on an average team that they're, you're always going to feel like, well, when is their moment going to happen? And without the winning, (laughs) those moments don't tend to happen um, in the same way. I think that, that makes that, lifelong connection to to the city so there there are a lot of layers to that a lot of pieces to it but I do agree with you I think if I was the front office I would be very concerned about the fact that right now and it's not just right now it's not just this season forget the fact that they made the postseason last year that they have been better in the last couple of seasons than they were in kind of the 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 low point of that uh (laughs) the end of the Mike Matheny era and missing the playoffs for the first time in however long whatever they're still not interesting and they're still not a team that it seems like anyone's particularly afraid of. And that makes it a pretty, you know, lackluster story to follow. And if we're feeling that way, uh, man, these players who want to go into a new city and win a championship probably aren't feeling that way as much as they used to about playing for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I, I, Again, I would be concerned about that. And maybe they are. Maybe they are concerned about it. They're not really putting on that, uh, yeah, we got to change everything kind of front publicly. But it should be part of their conversations at this point of the season and looking at next year and what they do from there. And it's going to be a different challenge probably than it's been before because, um, again, they they don't have the advantages that other teams do. And they're going to have to figure out ways around a version of baseball that really kind of celebrates those extremes, right? The tear it all down and rebuild versus the pay everybody whatever they want. If you're a team in the middle, um, you got to be a little more creative than maybe you were in the past. And (laughs) I don't know that creativity is the uh, strongest characteristic (laughs) of the St. Louis Cardinals front office. So we'll leave that to them to figure out for next season. And look, admittedly, we're, we've kind of moved on from, oh, what's going to happen in the series this week with the Pirates and the Royals? Because like Alex, you said earlier, even when they lost the series to the Braves, it was like, hmm, well, that's annoying, but also right. not that impactful. Because at this point, we're kind of, kind of resigned to that reality. So uh, if you're more interested in the Pirates and the Royal series, more power to you. Hopefully they win both series and we can say that's the good thing about this week, the next time we talk. Um, But unless there's anything else that you just really need to hammer out here, Alex, I think uh, we move along to the trip of the week. That sounds good. And and I have a good friend going to the Pirates series and he promised he would bring home a few wins. So we'll, there you go. We will hold him to that. Uh, (laughs) Here is the trip of the week. Uh, because we're talking about the Cardinals and the draft, I, I wanted to look up uh, 
their first round draft picks um, uh, uh, within the t- uh, under the top ten. So, so, so like uh, one through nine. Now, am I leaving out ten because ten would include Ted Simmons, and then that would blow up my whole narrative at the end? Who's to say? I don't know. But <laughs> um, I, I wanted to look at how many uh, first round, you know, Rule Four uh, draft picks the Cardinals have had. Uh, one through nine in their history, uh, starting in 1965 when the draft became a thing. And by my count, they've had 10. Um, and they are as follows. Uh, Leron Lee was their seventh pick, was the seventh pick in the draft in 1966. Uh, Ed Kerpiel, no idea. Uh, the eighth pick of the 1971 draft, he was a first baseman that the Cardinals selected. Um, Terry Kennedy, uh, the Cardinals picked him with the sixth overall pick in 1977. Uh, Andy Van Slyke in 1979 was the sixth overall pick selected by the Cardinals. Let's see here. Uh, Bob Meacham, 1981, the eighth overall pick by the Cardinals. Um, well, eighth overall pick in the draft, picked by the Cardinals. These were all picked by the Cardinals, okay? So I'm just going to stop saying that. Um, <laughs> 1984. The seventh overall pick in the draft was Mike Dunn, uh, also uh, my wife's first cousin. I think I've mentioned that a couple times. Uh, I will probably see him this Christmas, pending on the Delta variant. Um, 1989, the sixth overall pick was Paul Coleman by the Cardinals. 1991, the fourth overall pick, their highest, uh, I believe one of their highest draft picks, uh, certainly in my lifetime, Dimitri Young. They selected him fourth overall. 1996, the third overall pick, Braden Looper. We all remember Braden Looper. In 1998, the fifth overall pick, J.D. Drew. And those are the 10. And I wanted to add up their wins above replacement uh, via baseball reference while those 10 players were with the Cardinals. Um, So those 10 players... uh, Put all together, how many wins above replacement, how many wins did they give the Cardinals? And according to baseball reference, the total is 29.0 wins above replacement from those 10 players while with the Cardinals. 28.3 of those wins come from Andy Van Slyke and J.D. Drew. Um, Now, Braden Looper, if you include his second stint with the Cardinals towards the end of his career, was worth 2.2 wins above replacement for the Cardinals uh, for his career. However, uh, the others all added up in the negative. So it, it, uh, <laughs> so, so it, it cut down on a little bit there. Um, I, I guess, you know, this is one of those things where I had like a narrative in mind. And then so I went to researching it, went to research it, assuming it would like really back up what I was going to say, which is that, look, you know, the draft's hard. You really never know. And like, I, I was expecting to get like a number like 11.5. Uh, but obviously, you know, 30 wins above replacement is a pretty good number, uh, especially when you have J.D. Drew, who was worth about, uh, he was worth about 20 wins for the Cardinals in his career. And then he was basically the main part of the package that we sent over for Adam Wainwright. So like that, that was an amazing, amazing pick for the Cardinals. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like uh, picks within the top 10 don't matter because they obviously do. Um, but it's not the end all be all. N- none of these guys are guarantees. Uh, you just never know. Um, and for instance, I didn't even know this was possible, but where's that guy's name? 
1971 pick, the guy that picked eighth overall, Ed Kerpiel, a first baseman from Hollis, New York. He doesn't even have a baseball reference page. <laughs> How do you not? I think I almost have a baseball reference page. <laughs> I don't know. So um, now, now, now I say that without researching him, I'll feel very bad if I find out like, you know, something uh, untoward happened. In fact, I'm going to look that up right now. And if that is the case, then you can delete it. You can edit this out. But hold on. <laughs> um, but my point is like, the draft is a very hard thing. Um, very, you know, very, uh, ooh, Ed Kerpiel's 1972 home run may have gone 670 feet. Well, I don't believe that at all. That's a headline from MILB.com. Uh, so, yes, he played in the minors in the Mexican League but never made the majors. So that's why he doesn't have a standard uh, baseball reference page. Anyway, but I believe he's still alive and with us. Um, so... Um, nothing, nothing, <laughs> there's no tragic circumstances there. He just never made the majors. Um, my point, I don't know. That's, but that's your trip of the week. I just, I was curious how many picks the Cardinals have had that high. Not many, uh, given that the draft is now what, um, entering its, well, many, many years, close to 60 years now, I suppose. Um, and they have had, uh, 10, uh, within the top 10 and, uh, They've had some good players drafted. Certainly, Andy Van Slyke was a great player, and J.D. Juge was a great player. And they've had some not-so-great players drafted, although one of them may have hit a 670-foot home run, but he probably <laughs> did not. And that is your book. <laughs> I'm going to have to read that article now. The things you learn uh, in a quick Google search. No, but it is interesting, and I think it does kind of tie into what we were talking about, is, is that you need, even if you get a – doing air quotes, better draft pick, there's still no guarantee that it's going to work out the way that you hope it will, or that it's going to have the sort of organization changing impact um, that some of those picks do. Uh, you don't always, I think time has uh, reinforced this. You don't always get an Albert Pujols <laughs> in the 13th round of the draft, right? That's not um, the norm, but you also don't always get an Albert Pujols with your first round draft pick either. That's the, they're once in a generation kind of players for a reason. And who knows who the Cardinals will be able to, uh, to bring in via the draft next season and when that may pay off somewhere down the road. Um, hopefully they're a little bit better than this before <laughs> that starts to pay off down the road. And, uh, I guess, I guess well, that's where we leave the draft. Yeah, and if I can tell you, so I just did some very quick research where this home run allegedly occurred, again, okay. hit by Ed Kerpiel, which I'm probably not saying his name correctly. But it was at Moana Stadium, spelled like Moana, like the Pixar film, uh, okay. in, in Reno, Nevada, which sits 4,500 feet above sea level. So kind of like a course field where the altitude is kind of nuts. But I don't care. There's no way he hit a 670-foot home run. <laughs> I'll read the rest of this and maybe... Uh, check back in next week about what i've learned but uh, there we go. i don't even know there what a 670 foot home run looks like but that's pretty far i'm guessing they don't either and it's just like it may have hit somewhere close to here but like, we don't know that's two home runs <laughs> yeah. that's two you hit a home run down the line 330 feet that is two home runs right right uh it's too bad he never made the majors because that would have been very exciting yeah. to watch we could have used those yes yeah yeah. Uh, well, if any of the uh, current most recent draft picks want to follow up with that and, and bring that kind of power to the table, I wouldn't be mad about it. Um, oh, sorry. One last thing. Go ahead. As of 2019, uh, he works with UPS. There you go. So he could still work there. Maybe. 20 years. Maybe we should try to find him and have him on the show. Tell us about this home run. <laughs> 
if any of you know how to make contact, uh, you know, we could, a, use, we could use something else to talk about. Yeah, that's a damn good idea. I'm going to try and find him. There you All go. Right, yeah. Now, now that's your real homework assignment. Just try to find him and bring him on the show. <laughs> All right. I think that we have uh, taken this train as far as it can go uh, for today. If the Cardinals want to give us something more compelling to talk about, I would be happy to do so. But for now, this is where we leave you. And we will talk to you again likely next week, assuming we still have things to say about this Cardinals team and what happens in baseball between now and then. So... For Alex, I'm Tara. Thanks for listening to Chirps. Check out everything else going on at Birds on the Black and on the podcast channel, and we will talk to you again very soon.